From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Bijan Steven, and you are listening to Eclipsed. Today's episode is about language. Losing it, finding it again, and then all the marvelous, splendiferous things you can do with it. it it's miraculous to me that it works as well as it does, because it's just this extremely irregular and sprawling mutual agreement that language means something and that works in certain ways. And somehow all these different humans with their different brains are managing, and and that is incredible. On this wormhole, I'll be joined by the podcaster Helen Zaltzman. On her show The Illusionist, yes, with an A, Helen explores the history of words. Which means we're kind of in the same business. Eclipsed is all about turning over the rocks of history and looking at the stories that scurry out. And The Illusionist does basically the same thing, except for words. After the break, let's flip over some rocks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's get started. Or, as Helen says it, on with the show. I don't know much about the history of words. How did you get started thinking about that? Yeah, I suppose it was the old-fashioned education with the Latin and then having to do some Middle English at school. So that stuff, like, I was books from around late 1300s. And I found it quite intuitive to read. Um... (laughs) I didn't have the internet then, so you have to make your own fun. Um, and I studied that at university as well because I thought, well, there's a lot less written in the <laughs> in the distant past than there is like Shakespeare onwards. So um, I'll do that, and that will give me more time to do other stuff. But um, I wasn't expecting that to become such a big part of my life now. Um, and I think what I found so curious about it is that when you look at the etymology of words, you think, okay, that is highly irregular some kind of weird quirk of human decision-making or mistakes has happened and it's recorded for posterity in the language. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, also, I think a lot of it is is modified by use, right? Oh, yeah. Words, All the time. Like, every yeah. time. People think it's fixed. It's not. It's it's the most malleable tool we have. Yeah, I think my, my main experience with this is sort of um, words that the internet has come up with. <laughs> because that's, you know, I, I, I am a millennial. I grew up online um there was a moment where like i would realize that i didn't have any idea what people were trying to say um and then i would realize that the the word there that they were using was the key to the whole meaning of the sentence but it was you know this this happened more and more frequently and then you got all these incredible stories like from internet history where it's like the word yeet (laughs) came from a (laughs) vine or this girl in high school or i think middle school maybe like, it's clearly stage, which is great, but she tries to drink out of a can and she finds it's empty and it says, this bitch empty, yeet, and just yells it as she throws it and therefore, like, has <laughs> defined that word through, like, through history. That is now a dictionary word. Uh, yeah. And it's just funny that that's, you know, like, the, the etymology I know is basically things like that. 
It's incredible. We're there at the birth of a word. It's like on fleek as well. That was another teenage girl on Vine. I think also teenage girls are underestimated as linguistic forces, but usually if change is happening, teenage girls are the ones where you'll see it first in the words they use, and then like a decade later, other people catch on to it. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And also it's like, it's funny because now it's all being recorded because everybody, you know, it's all communicated online and a lot of it's communicated in public. Like, you know, there's TikTok now, but like Twitter and Tumblr and all of these these sites where like that sometimes feel like private walled gardens are where all of this stuff is is being uh, cultivated. And it's because they're not walled gardens that we all know about it now. Let's talk about the internet a bit. I feel like podcasting is a very internet medium, right? Like it's it's was an Apple product and then became sort of generalized. Um, but I'm curious, like, how do you think about your work in terms of the internet? Oh my gosh. I've never thought about it before. It's definitely on there. <laughs> yeah, I'll right? tell you what, my father was a sculptor and about a year and a half ago, we had to clear out his studio because he had to stop sculpting mm-hmm. uh, because old age, degenerative illness, moving house. And there were 40 years worth of these enormous sculptures, like some of them like 10 feet across, really beautiful, but it just struck me as being extremely optimistic to make such massive sculptures without thinking, I'm making this because I already know where it's going to go. Like someone has commissioned me this or someone's got a gallery and it's going to go there instead of being wrapped in bubble wrap in a garage for 40 years. So we've got these storage units full of his sculptures now, which just feels like delaying the inevitable maybe of having to dispose of his lifetime's work. And so it's somewhat reassuring to me that my lifetime's work does not have a tangible form. And maybe that means it'll just disappear, but you can't guarantee what happens to anything. But at least it's a lot easier to move upon <laughs> the point of my retirement or death. That is, you know, I'd never thought of it that way. That's a very, very good point. <laughs> <laughs> it's convenient. As it turns out, Helen has an episode called Eclipse. I want to go back to... to um, the Eclipse episode of The Illusionist because, you know, like, obviously the show is named Eclipse, and I want to get into, like, your thoughts on the etymology of that particular word. And also, anyone who's listening, you should absolutely go listen to that episode. It's fantastic. Um, but I, I'm curious, how did you find that story? Oh, well, so the story of Eclipse is um, a woman called Lauren Marks uh, had uh, a stroke on stage in 2007 whilst performing karaoke. And she woke up in hospital after surgery with only 30 or 40 words left in her mind. And it took about a year and a half for her to get most of her language back. But she's she's still, there's certain things that have never come back or there's some things that have irrevocably changed and, and accommodations she has to make every day just to, you know, send text messages and things. But I've, I didn't find her. She emailed me because she lived in the same neighbourhood of London as me. And I didn't reply for uh, some months because I was getting kicked out of my flat by my landlord because okay. <laughs> um, he was going to move back. Not because I was a bad tenant. I just want to be clear about that. And uh, and so when I wrote back to her, I was like, oh, um, oh, I'm sorry. I've, I've moved out of our neighborhood now. Um, so it's harder to meet up in our neighborhood. And she said, yes, well, I've moved back to my parents' house in Los Angeles, which is a lot more hard <laughs> to meet up in London than anyway. Uh, I felt very guilty about that. And then the next time I was in Los Angeles, I went to her house and recorded with her. And I was like, oh my God, I'm I'm so glad that she forgave me for not having answered her email (laughs) because her story was so beautiful. I was really expecting it to be very grim. There was something kind of sublime about it. 
she said this isn't everyone's experience. She worked at an aphasia charity mm-hmm. for a while and she said some people never really got the correct diagnosis. So they didn't realize this is a thing. They thought, oh, this is just something wrong with me that can't be fixed. Um, whereas she got a diagnosis of aphasia, which is this uh, uh, language disability, as brought into the news by Bruce Willis mm-hmm. recently. But the reason I called the episode Eclipse was after interviewing her for eight, for hours, I said, uh, what, what song were you singing at karaoke? And she said, Total Eclipse of the Heart by Bonnie Tyler. And I was like, that's extraordinarily perfect in certain ways because the experience was her life changing all of a sudden, like this mm-hmm. is complete uh, switch like there is in the Eclipse as well, sudden darkness. And and in fact, well, it's weird. The etymology of Eclipse is, is an abandonment or a failing. I don't want to judge what happened to her as failing, but just that sudden absence of something is, is encoded in the word, which I didn't know at the time, uh, which I felt was such an emotional etymology. I learned some uh, interesting stuff about eclipses as well. Um, Christopher Columbus, I mean, what an absolute fuck. <laughs> a story I learned about uh, eclipses from history was that um, in 1503, Christopher Columbus's ships got stranded in Jamaica because woodworm had caused the ships to leak. And the indigenous people were like, okay, cool, here's some food, uh, we'll look after you. And then a few months in, they were like, your guys are stealing from us. We're not going to bring you any more food. And Columbus, being a sneaky sort, he had a, an almanac of astronomical movements and tables, and he spotted that there was a lunar eclipse coming up. And so he said to the local leader, God is angry with you for not giving us food anymore, and he's going to show you that by turning the moon red. And that happened, and the people were like, oh, shit. And Columbus said, well, you know, if you give us food, then the moon's going to go back to normal, because he knew that would happen in a few minutes. And uh, it all worked out for him, of course. All worked out for old Columbus with his almanac. After the break, the evils of English. I, I, I want to go back to um, your studies of Middle English in college. Oh, sure. Uh, because like, I, it, it's it's an interesting thing to study, and I'm 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 interested. Did you? I'm curious about your revelations. Did you have any revelations about language, your place in it? Oh my god! What if it happens right now? No. In fact, I think this is a fault of my university studies because it made it seem like language was just this historical thing. It was all dealt with ages ago. And now we get to use it and and nothing else is going to happen to it. It's complete. And that is so wrong. I think it was weird to study language in isolation of how living humans use it. And so all the, the real revelations came to me when I was doing The Illusionist, when, when it turned out my interests were so different to what I thought they would be. And also just I had not learnt before or not consciously learnt about what a problematic fave English is. English is a fascinating language because it's it's relatively new mm-hmm. compared to a lot of other 
languages and it's changed a lot and it has all these different influences in it because uh, Britain was uh, invaded by uh, the Romans, Germanic forces, uh, Norse, and they brought their language with it and then Britain went off and enthusiastically took things from the rest of the world. I'm using this euphemistically, but it means <laughs> we've got all these incredible elements in the language, but also English isn't a global language by chance. Mm -hmm. It's a global language by aggression and oppression. And, and so studying that and just all the languages that have been lost because of English, uh, I thought, oh yeah, okay, I was right that it's fascinating, but I can also never be happy about it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like a fish, I mean, to quote David Foster Wallace sideways, fish considering water, right? It's like, oh, oh, that's where they came from. Oh, right. This is where these influences are. <laughs> um, this puts me in the mind of, uh, do you know the, the show Firefly? Are you familiar with the show? I've not watched it, but I know that I, it exists. I don't recommend watching it. Um, people love it. It's not good there. I mm -hmm. said it. It's not good because it's, it's <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I'll, I promise I'm getting to a point. But it, because it's like it's like a 2002 show, so it's very like nerdy white male sort of feminism. It's weird. But anyway, they did this one fast, and I can talk way more about this, but I won't. <laughs> the thing that they do in that show that is really interesting is like so it, it's like a hundreds of years in the future um, where Earth has been used up. Everyone's out on these outer planets and inner planets, and there was a war. But all of the characters speak in this like kind of Western, like American Western argot that is interspersed with a bunch of Chinese words because like this is like this is the time where they, they were like and they're like all the characters are spouting these random Chinese phrases that are never translated um, and it's it's kind of fascinating because it obviously reflects the anxieties of like you know somebody who grew up in the late 80s like you know there's a lot of xenophobia there but the idea that like the way these people speak were just was so like in changed by the way the world had developed and the way the like the world had changed and it just you know carried forward um, I thought that was really fascinating. Like, it's a fascinating idea. It's like, oh, yeah, in the future, we will be speaking a weird argot that doesn't make any sense um, to us right now. That's true. Did they mean it to be Chinese or were they like, we've just taken some words no, that it was sound foreign to an English ear? Specifically ears? Chinese. Okay, good. Yeah. That's a relief to me. But there were no Chinese people on the show. Ah. Uh. <laughs> uh. You see what I mean by 2002. But it, it, the thing that's interesting is like, you know, 20 years later, we speak a lot differently than we spoke in the year 2002 right and it's fascinating because like the development of the internet is doing the work the same work that the narrative of you know earth got used up and everyone went to outer planets thing did right it's like the same thing in terms of the language like because our language is being irrevocably changed all the time by all these random people online who are just posting and don't you know think about it there's a really interesting book called because internet by yes. gretchen mcculloch mm -hmm. and uh in it she said that there's something that hadn't occurred to me before, but it's so obvious now she said it, just because of the internet, we have a lot more record, which is what linguists go on, rec like written record, of how people actually speak because you write on social media, etc. a lot more how, like how you talk rather than in this formal mm -hmm. register. Yeah. Which is really revolutionary in, in linguistic studies. So maybe that's why people, some people are just so sniffy about it because they're like, this isn't correct, but they're not thinking it's, it's different. Yeah. The intent and the ways of it are different. And if language is a tool that is made up of our collective preferences, they, they're they not right, like, by definition. <laughs> yeah. But Yeah, it's more of us than them. Yeah, exactly. So have you seen the Sumerian dog joke that's been going around? Pray tell. <laughs> so this this has been going lightly viral for the last few weeks, um, but it's a, it's a, it's a, a an ancient 
Sumerian joke about a dog walking into a bar and the joke I don't I don't oh, yeah. exactly know the joke but the implication is that the, the, the there's a play on the like the bar being a brothel and the dog's like can I see um so it's like a dirty joke from like you know a while back but it like it's going viral now I saw a TikTok of a guy speaking Sumerian like explaining the joke wow. and I was like wow we can do that another another thing that is like a classic heritage post about language is um there was a this I believe this merchant Hold on, hold on. I'm going to I'm going to Google this so I don't get it wrong. Ah, yes, the complaint tablet to A Nasir. It's a <laughs> Babylonian Babylonian like 1750 BC, right? This guy writes to another guy. He's like, "Hey man, you you cheated me." Like, "What's up with that?" And like this this goes viral on Tumblr regularly. You'll see the reference to A Nasir's like complaint all over Tumblr, which is absolutely fascinating because it's like, this was like thousands of years ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, humans, I suppose human grievances and and also jokes, some jokes of, of date quickly, but some are eternal. Um, one of the things I used to study was also Old English. So a lot of that was either religious poetry or dirty riddles. So I'd be reading this poem and it would be about a key or an onion and then be like, ta-da, it's a penis. <laughs> and Great. everything turned out to be a penis. Yeah, well. uh, but um, a few years ago, I made this episode about cursed tablets mm -hmm. in um, the city of Bath in Britain. There's an ancient Roman bath. And 2,000 years ago, people used to go there and inscribe on a little piece of lead a curse upon their enemies and throw it in so that the bath gods would wreak vengeance or I guess they're just venting a bit of their anger and the grievances tend to be like oh Fred stole my towel <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's nothing's changed really no, has it no no and I mean you know in that sense I, humans are are infinitely petty is what I'm is what I'm learning here yeah. um but yeah no it's but it's it's funny because like I, I, the connotation is like yeah I want god to strike that guy down or a god to strike that guy down. It's like, well, you know, what did he really do? <laughs> Maybe praying <laughs> is just venting frustration. You know what I mean? Could well be. Well, that changes everything, doesn't it? Special thanks to Helen Zaltzman for spending some time with us this week. For more adventures in language, check out her podcast, Be Illusionist. You can follow her on Twitter, at Helen Zaltzman. Eclipse is a production of Campside Media. It's hosted by me, Bijan Steven, and written by Michael Canyon Meyer. We're produced by Tanita Rahmani, Lane Gerbig, and Joe Hawthorne. Allison Haney is our production assistant. Archival research by Caitlin Rathie. We're fact-checked by Alex Yablon. Our engineer is Garrett Tiedemann. Our theme song is by Doug Slaywin. Our executive producers are me, Bijan Steven, and Michael Canyon Meyer. The executive producers at Campside Media are Matt Scher, Adam Hoff, Josh Dean, and Vanessa Gregoriadis. If you want to say hello or what's up, drop us a line at eclipsed at campsidemedia.com or tweet at us at eclipsedpod. And if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me at Bijan Steven on Twitter and Twitch. Thanks for listening. See you next time.